Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Good morning, everybody. Uh, How great it is to worship with my brothers and sisters uh, here um, gathering as, as a group. As we've talked about on, on this day, this, uh, this 4th of July, um, I, I'm aware, uh, I'm more aware that we get to do that freely here. Uh, and so um, I really hope, God forbid, we take that for granted, um, that we're able to do that. Uh, again, as Brett said, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 this morning. Uh, and we're going to um, go through uh, a brief passage, one snapshot uh, of Jesus' ministry uh, on earth, where he really, the way that Mark writes this really captures the essence of why Jesus came and why he did uh, the miracles that he did. Um, so we're going to read through Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, Church, hear now the word of your sovereign Forgiving, Lord. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Both so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Amen. If you're familiar with the idea of uh, project management or if you've ever led like a missions team or anything like that, uh, you, you know that it only works if you have a very focused target. If you don't have a very specific reason for why you do the things you do, uh, all kinds of other things can kind of come in. It's called mission creep or it's called scope creep or any of those kinds of things. And they get in and they distract everybody from what the mission is actually all about. And people tend to miss the point and the mission tends to lose its effect. Now, that illustration only goes so far because that's with men. With God, his mission is always accomplished and we know that. But 
the idea here from the people that we're going to see in Mark chapter 2 goes right along perfectly with that. They're having all kinds of other things get in, and we see this all the way through to today, where things come through and they creep in on the actual mission of why Jesus came and the actual mission of why Jesus did the things that he did, why he said the things that he said, uh, and uh, why he didn't do some of the things that he didn't do. Uh, This message is entitled, Remember the Mission, for that very reason. And the reason for that is because, uh, as Christians, it behooves us to remember that every miracle that Jesus did, and every parable that Jesus told, and every other thing that he said or he did, was to reveal God's mission for his people. People benefited from the things that Jesus did. No question, right? I think we can all agree. People benefited from the things that Jesus did. Paralytic sure benefited from the thing that Jesus did, right? But I submit to you today that that was not the point. The point was to advance Jesus' mission. And we see that here from very early on in the way that Mark captures this. If you go back and you read through the first couple of verses, again, we see that Jesus returns to Capernaum after some days. uh, And he returns to uh, home, you know, whatever home was for Jesus. We know that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. This is probably Simon Peter's home um, or one of the other disciples where Jesus stayed uh, often. And we see that when word spread that Jesus was in Capernaum, that people came, uh, and not just some people, all the people. My family watched uh, this Disney movie called Raya and the Last Dragon last night. Uh, and there's a very, the very end, uh, the, the girl um, goes to her father and says, I brought you a gift, and this gift is like a gazillion people. And the thought was, the, the, the whole premise of the thing is to share a meal with, with people that were broken uh, and fractured, and the relationships had been shattered. And so the idea is, how are we going to feed this many people, right? That's the number of people. It's, it's a picture of the number of people that have come to see Jesus. There's so many there. They're crowding in the house. They're crowding in the doorway. They're spilling out onto the street. Like, crowd control is going to have to come in. The Roman guards or the Pharisees or whoever are going to come in and have to break up the crowd. There's so many people here, right? Why did they come? Why did those people come to see Jesus? What did they heard that Jesus was doing? He was healing people, right? He was healing the sick. He was uh, cleansing the lepers. The, the lame could be made to walk. The blind could have their eyes opened up. The deaf could have their ears unstopped. All this kind of stuff is happening. But what does Jesus do according to verse 2? He speaks the word to them. You see, this is why Jesus came. In Mark chapter 1, the beginning of this, we see how Jesus operated. In Mark 1.15, he says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And in Mark 1.38, he says, Let's go to the neighboring villages, talking to his disciples, that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. His central mission was always his focus. He's, he's explaining the gospel. And what is the gospel according to Jesus? Well, he tells us when he goes into the synagogue and he reads the scroll and they hand him the scroll from Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops the scroll. That's in the middle of a verse, by the way, where he stops the scroll. There's more to come, but that hasn't happened yet. This is what's happening. Everything else that that occurs 
is to advance that mission right there. Grace has come. God has heard the cries of his people. And he has sent a deliverer, just as in the days of old, only way better. This time, the deliverance is once for all. And so Mark sets this up by explaining this is what Jesus is doing. He's preaching the word. Now we're going to have a healing, but he's preaching the word first. Four men in this, um, in this illustration are singled out. Uh, and it's fair to ask why these ones? Why does Mark focus on these ones? Well, it's because this is what advances Jesus' mission. This does not mean that Jesus is opportunistic. Get that cleared up right now. There are other, um, other situations in Scripture that are very clear where Jesus didn't heal somebody that he could have healed. I think of the man uh, in Acts chapter 3. The man who was laid at the gate beautiful. Uh, and he was lame from birth. And he'd been carried there. And he was placed daily at the temple gate. The, the passage is going to be up on your screen here, 1 through two, 3, 1 through 2, and 9 through 10 from Acts chapter 3. And my question is, Jesus, being a good Jew and fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law, including going to temple, would have seen this guy. But he didn't heal him. Instead, the disciples healed him after Jesus had ascended. And once they healed him, they had an arena to preach the gospel. Simon Peter launches into the first great sermon in Acts off of this. And so the point of all of this is that God grants healings and miracles on his schedule, not ours. And when he does, it's in order to point us to himself. We see this example in Acts 3. We see an example in Luke chapter 17 Verse 14, the ten lepers. Jesus heals the lepers and sends them away to the priests. He says, go, show yourself to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Now one comes back to thank Jesus, which is a good thing. We should be very grateful for all of these things. But he sends the lepers to the priests to be cleansed. Now the reason he sends that to them is because in Leviticus chapter 14, there's a whole protocol that's laid out in the Levitical law of what's supposed to happen when a leper is cleansed. One question. How many times had that protocol ever been used? According to scripture. Everybody see this one I'm holding up here? It's a big fat zero, right? We have no record in scripture of that ever having been fulfilled. One case of leprosy was healed. That was Naaman, a Syrian, a Gentile. So it didn't apply to him, right? This healing was meant to tell the priests something. Now, they missed it. But this healing was meant to tell the priests that something new was happening. In John chapter 1141, Jesus is going to heal Lazarus and raise him from the dead, arguably the greatest miracle that Jesus had performed to that point. And as he does all of this, he cries out uh, to God, the Father. And he says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe that you sent me. And then he shouts with a loud voice for Lazarus to come out. So he does it so that the people would know 
that they sent him. In John chapter 9, verse 1, we have the man who was born blind. And the disciples ask him, who sinned here, Jesus? Was it this guy? Or was it his parents that he was born blind? And we'll get to the sin part here in a minute and why they asked that question. But Jesus answered and said, it's not either of those. This happened so that God works, God's works might be displayed in him. That's the reason. That's the purpose. For the flip side, we can go to the Apostle Paul, right? Thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. How many times did he ask God, take it away, please take it away, right? And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So God heals and grants these healings and these miracles for his purposes and on his schedule. It's not up to us to determine all that and to understand why. So when these gentlemen in, uh, back to Mark chapter 2, lower this guy through the roof, like they're ripping apart Simon Peter's roof. They're committing destruction of property and vandalism and all kinds of other things that would normally cause people to be really unhappy with them. But they're not stopped by that at all. They drop, uh, they drop their buddy right in front of Jesus because that's the only way to get to him. Jesus looks at him and he says something really interesting. He says, get up, take up your mat. And no, he doesn't, right? He says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is going straight to the heart of why he came. What this man really needs is forgiveness. He needs forgiveness from his sins. Being not paralyzed anymore, don't get me wrong, would be awesome and amazing, and I'm sure he was really super happy about that. But if he gets healed and he gets, uh, his, his paralysis is gone and Jesus doesn't forgive his sin, what was the point? Anything other than forgiveness of sin is trading one set of shackles or one set of bondage, uh, bonds for something else altogether. They're still in bondage and they still need what really matters, which is the forgiveness of sin more so than healing. Sickness and health, rich and poor, better for worse, all the other things that we include in the marriage vows, right? All those things um, are, they can be blessings. They can be. They can be curses, but they're not automatically so. They are all circumstances, and they're all circumstances that God will use to... uh, Glorify himself, to benefit those who are his, uh, and to point people to himself. So Jesus gets straight to the point, but this is going to cause problems, right? Because that's how, not that Jesus operated to cause problems, but it seemed like when Jesus spoke the truth, there were problems followed him, right? So the scribes and the Pharisees and all these other folks who were there, uh, they start to push back and they start questioning, why is he doing this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? All these other things. Um, Mark doesn't really capture very well who is in this disbelieving audience. He just says the scribes. But Luke, uh, in chapter five seventeen, where he uh, parallels this, uh, goes in a little bit more detail and he says, it's the Pharisees, it's the teacher of the law, and the scribes. So it's basically a cross-section hodgepodge of the Jewish leadership of the day is here and observing this. Uh, And so it's not just one set. It's pretty much the whole gamut of the leadership 
Uh, not every single person, but representative of all of the Jewish leadership is in this place. And they're all thinking why uh, he's blaspheming. How can he do this? Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. They're right, but they're also wrong. Because they kind of missed a very important detail. So how do they think like this? Why, why do they get to this point? And, and part of that is because the Jewish rabbis in the teaching, and this is evident in the um, Babylonian Talmud, which was assembled after this, but reflects generations of uh, Hebrew teaching and understanding, uh, believed that uh, infirmities were universally equated with sin issues. So if you have a... If, you, if you're paralyzed or you're blind or you're deaf or... Uh, any other kind of thing or whatever, well, it's obviously some sort of sin issue in your life, right? If, if you didn't have that, then you would be able-bodied like the rest of us. And so it, it's totally on you. You know, sorry, you're, you're just out of luck because only God can forgive you, right? And uh, that's obviously so way far off the mark. I think we've illustrated that by this point, so I'm not going not gonna to belabor that. But uh, that was the teaching and the understanding And so in this passage, Jesus is actually meeting the Pharisees where they're at, and he's also meeting the paralytic where he's at. The Pharisees had a lot right. They knew that forgiveness came from God alone, um, but they always equated infirmity with sin. Now, we can see in Scripture sometimes that does happen because we know about Uzziah, and we know about Miriam, and we know about Gehazi, uh, and a few others. There there are a lot in there. Um, And so that does happen in some cases, especially in the Old Testament, but that's not universally true. The issue that they have here is that their preconceived notion of God is not squaring with what they're witnessing in front of them. So the fact that God in the flesh standing right before them says, your sins are forgiven, that throws them completely for a loop. Because they're right, only God can do that. But it never occurred to them that God might be standing before them. They have this... uh, passage, it's in Deuteronomy, the great Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, right? Uh, the word one in there for Hebrew is, is echad, and uh, it is a singular, but it's a singular plural. It's a singular collective. It's the same in Genesis where it says uh, the, the two, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, the two shall become echad. They're no longer two, but they're one. Um, but it's a one plural. They have a different word um, that I can't pronounce for, for, for true singular. Um, I'm going through basic Hebrew. So the, uh, the idea is that uh, it never entered their mind. God is he's a compound singular for, to, to put it in the best way that we can. Um, I try not to invoke Trinitarian analogies because inevitably they, they go off the rails. So... Um, that's the best that we can do, really. Um, God could, could be standing before them as having authority to forgive, and they never thought about it. But here's the, th- here's the thing that, that kind of shows where they're at. Jesus could have said, get up, take your mat, and go home. And that if he would have just said that, nobody would have batted an eye. People would have been amazed. But nobody would have had any real significant issue with that. But to forgive sin is, to borrow from my last sermon, inconceivable, right? You can't, you, you, you can't forgive sin. Only God can do that. And so they end up getting, uh, getting wrapped around the axle for all of this stuff. And before we're too hard on the Pharisees, 
I, I do need to point out that in 2021, there are a lot of people, ourselves included sometimes, that are guilty of this very thing. That our preconceived notions uh, of God do not square with what we understand um, or what we do. Now, we can be filled with all kinds of Bible knowledge. I'm about halfway through my seminary studies right now. I'm so grateful that I get to go to seminary and that I have a, a supporting family um, and, and church that really supports um, myself and Simeon in that, in going to seminary. But we can get filled with a whole bunch of Bible knowledge, and all that Bible knowledge can do the exact same thing that it does to the Pharisees and the scribes and just puff us up and think that we have it all figured out. Um, spoiler alert, the more I go through seminary, the more I understand I got no idea <laughs> about any of this stuff. Um, the danger is in doing that, we envision a God that never challenges our thinking. He always agrees with us. He never goes against what we believe. That would be amazing for me to have a God like that who never disagreed with me and always said I was right, right? That'd be fantastic. But the problem is when, if I do that, I've created a God in my own image instead of the other way around. Now, on the flip side, we can take our Bible knowledge and we can twist the scripture in such a way that it guarantees things for us that God never promised. This happens a lot today. You don't have to look very far. You can look at famous, pe- famous churches and pastors and their, and their worship groups and all this stuff on Facebook and social media and everything like that. It's everywhere. Um, but that's also creating a God in our image. They dedicate themselves to promises of prosperity or they go just into spiritual self-help. You're, you're a good person. You just need a little, you know, a little polishing. Um, or they promise that you're going to have perfect health. They promise that the supernatural is going to meet you there. They promise for breakthroughs and victories, and they, and they guarantee all of these things. All you have to do is just cl- declare it, believe it, and claim it, and it's yours. Um, I submit two things. Number one, to quote the princess bride, life is pain. And anyone who says differently is selling something. Two, guaranteeing any of that, those things can happen, and they do happen, and praise God that they do happen. Don't get me wrong. But guaranteeing that those things are universal for every single believer, it reduces God to a cosmic genie. It, it reduces the king of the universe to my errand boy, is what that does. Now, both this over here and the puffing up of knowledge over here are wrong. And both of them do violence to the text of Scripture, and both of them do violence against the true nature of who God is. And that is what show, Jesus is showing here in this passage. Now, is it wrong to ask for those things? Absolutely not. It is not wrong to ask for those things, but we cannot presume that those things will be conferred to us just because uh, of, of our understanding or because we're Christians or, or what have you. It is, it is wrong and erroneous to be to presume that those things are going to happen. Now, uh, Jesus says here uh, in the rest of this, you see the passage here, and this gets really to the point. Um, This action depicts Jesus consistently through the rest of Mark. Mark's letter depicts Jesus as somebody who is completely undeterred. He is uh, on his mission. He's not letting the scope creep come in. He's not letting the mission creep come in. Jesus is on it. And he serves men in small ways here so that he might one day serve them in the grandest way possible, and that is the forgiveness of sin. 
And everything he says and does drives himself and his followers towards that mission, which is reconciliation between God and men. So Jesus says, and why are you thinking like this? Which is easier. I can say get up and walk. Or I can say your sins are forgiven, excuse me. Or I can say get up and walk, which is harder. So that you know I can do this, do that. Right? So that everybody here knows that I have the authority to forgive sins, you right there, get up and walk. That's why he said that. And you see it's all over in Scripture, and we're going to take a look at that here in a little bit. But uh, it's everywhere that this is why people will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin, or people will know that I am the Lord. That's God's speaking, not David, just in case there's anybody on the Internet that wants to confuse that. He's saying Messiah has come. And the reason we know that he is saying explicitly Messiah has come is how he refers to himself. He refers to himself as the son of man here. Now, this is kind of cloaked a little bit. It's not so much like in John chapter 8 where he says, well, before Abraham was, I am. The tetragrammaton, the four letters, right? But he is still explicitly saying, the son of man has the power to forgive sins on earth. The son of man can forgive sins. Jesus is saying, I have the power to forgive sins because I am. The son of man has its roots uh, in a passage that we're going to see in 5, 6, 12, 13, 18 weeks. I don't know how many. Um, When when Brett gets back to to his Daniel uh, series. Uh, In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, uh, it's very clear who the son of man is. And Daniel goes through, and he's looking at all of this, and he says, you know, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. The son of man... Jesus refers to him as that, and they would not have missed this. It is a messianic title. Uh, it's not a, a kingly confusion, like they would confuse the king. Uh, later you're going to see that they come to take Jesus and try to make him king by force after he feeds, uh, feeds the crowd. And then when he comes in on the triumphal entry, they're going to receive him as their king. Um, but that's not what it is. The Son of Man is, is a different title. And so he's saying, I have this power to to forgive because I am. This is my title. This is who I am. This is why I've come. I've come to forgive sin. Friends, forgiving sin is sufficient for us, or it should be. Now, each one of us has things in our lives that we wish that God would do. And again, is it wrong to ask for those things? No, it's not. You know, God will, will give us every good thing. And if he doesn't give it to us, that means it's not good for us, right? He will, he will give us what we need. And what we needed more than anything else was forgiveness. And if we had forgiveness, that will be sufficient. Now, the Jews have uh, this song that they sing as part of their Haggadah uh, around the Passover Seder. Um, and it's, it basically retells all the things that God did for their ancestors, um, starting with bringing them out of Egypt and all the way up to giving them the temple. 
and there's 15 things that they do. It's 15 conditional sentences. Uh, and each one of them, when they either say it or they sing it, uh, however they want to do it, uh, if you want to know how it goes, you can ask Anne afterwards. She knows it very well. Uh, the, uh, but the last word in there is uh, the Hebrew word dainu. And what it means is it's sufficient for us. Or it would have been enough for us. So we're not going to go through all 15, um, but we're going to go through, there's 10 listed up here on, this, on the screens for you guys, um, and they're all conditional sentences. So it says, if he had brought us out of Egypt, and that was it. If he had brought us out of Egypt but not punished the Egyptians, Dianu, it would have been enough. If he had brought us, uh, if he had punished the Egyptians but not punished their gods, Dianu, it would have been enough. If he had punished their gods but not slain the firstborn, Dianu. It would have been enough. And so each one builds on top of each other, but it all starts with, if he had just brought us out of Egypt, that would have been good enough for us. It was sufficient. That was all he really needed to do. Everything else was a bonus. Uh, and it goes through and it talks about splitting the sea, um, plundering the Egyptians, leading them through the sea on dry land, uh, providing for the needs for the, in the wilderness for 40 years, giving them manna, um, giving them Torah, giving them um, Shabbat or the Sabbath. Uh, giving them the temple. So it talks about the great things that God had done, and then it talks about the way that God came near to them. And if he had done any one of those things, Dianu, it was sufficient. Now, each of the ten that I've, that I've put up here uh, on the board, these are the first ten, there are five more at the end, um, all have to do with the Egyptians and the Exodus. And they all have a tagline in Scripture, interestingly enough. Uh, and all of it is either some derivative of the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, or you, the Israelites, will know that I am the Lord, or they, the Israelites, God just speaking to Moses, will know that I am the Lord. And so we see these things are done, all of these great and mighty miracles that God does in the Exodus benefit his people, no question. They are the mechanisms by which he brings his people out of Egypt and ultimately into the land of promise. But they're done so that people will recognize that they're, they're, the Lord God is in Israel, or I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God, or I am the Lord and there is no other. So make no mistake why we do these things. It's the exact same reason why Jesus forgives this guy, this paralytic. A great and mighty miracle. But he does it so that they might know that the Son of Man, the Messiah, walks before them. Right there, and that forgiving sin is more important than than anything else that Jesus could do. And he's going to demonstrate that. Obviously, he did demonstrate that because he did not receive the kingship uh, at that time in the way that they wanted. He went to the cross instead because forgiving the sin was way more important than getting put on a throne in Jerusalem and kicking out the Romans and establishing the theocracy again. This passage actually says 71 times in the Christian Standard Bible, by the way, they will know that I am the Lord. And each one of those is attached to a work of God in accordance with his plan, just like this. On his schedule, in order to point people toward himself. So as we move into applying the word here, a couple easy, simple questions. Number one, do I recognize that Christ has already worked the greatest miracle in my life, that being the forgiveness of my sins. 
if that's all he did, Dianu, right? If that's all he did. If you are not a believer in, in Jesus, if you have not had that aha moment and had your eyes opened, your application's clear. Forgiveness of sin has come. It is available. It is everything you need. Lay hold of that and take that today. If you have questions about that, please talk to one of the elders. I'm happy to, to speak as well uh, and, and help you unpack that. But lay hold of that today. I urge you, with everything I've got in me, that is the most important thing. Everything else is secondary. Everything. If you are a believer, but the answer to that question is no, I don't recognize it, then the question is this. What's clouding my view? Sometimes things get in the way. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we, we understand the scripture maybe a little too well. Or maybe we don't understand it quite enough and we think we understand it, but we're, we're going through this. Or maybe we've got some sort of other thing going on in our life that causes us to fixate uh, on on this. Uh, about a year ago, um, real talk time, about a year ago I was diagnosed with, with having moderate anxiety. I guess I'd had it my whole life. I didn't know, but this, the, the world stopping uh, and everything shutting down kicked that into overdrive, and I was at the point where I could not function. And every night, I'm, I'm praying like, God, please take this away. Please take this away. I can't deal with this. I can't, I can't go on. I don't, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to function with that. And really the only thing that, that, that kept my head screwed on straight at that point was God's word pouring over. And uh, fortunately, I, you know, I have some good doctors and some medication and, and all of that as well. But the initial thing was God's word just pouring over me, reminding me that I was his child and um, that my days were in his hand. I don't know how many times I, I, I had some of the songs that we were singing uh, the last few weeks on replay going through there. I get it. There are things that can come up that, that just we, we cannot help but fixate on it. But those things are secondary. God being God and forgiving my sin, whatever else he wants to bring into my life, I can, I can face that with his help because he's done the most important work for me. And the second is like this. The second question, um, there was one A and one B there, is do I recognize that the greatest miracle is sufficient for me? And then if not, why? So I encourage you guys to, to think about that. But remember, your sin's been forgiven. If you are a follower of Jesus, your sin has been forgiven. If you're not, it can be. You just need to take out, uh, reach out and take hold of it. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to come to the table here. This is the table of forgiveness, appropriately named. Because this is why Jesus came. He did a lot of things. He came to pour out um, 
to pour out a lot of things, but ultimately he came to die for you and for me. To reconcile a people to himself and to call them out of darkness into a glorious light. And so again, if that's you today, if you are a follower of Jesus, if your sins have been forgiven, then please come and take from this, the Lord's table. If you have not yet, this is what we're proclaiming. We are proclaiming that Christ has forgiven our sins and that we can walk in new life with him. So if that's not you yet, no judgment, just let it pass. We can talk to you about that if you want to have to know that your sins are forgiven. We can talk to you about that afterwards. But friends, let us partake of the table of forgiveness. For what I receive from the Lord, I now pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out that your sins may be forgiven. Drink of it, each of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we pray that you would meet us here, that you would draw us up to you in this, the table of your forgiveness. Father, as we take this bread, we remember. We remember that our need was great, that our sin was deep. A debt that we could never, ever hope to pay off and to dig ourselves out of. But you, in your love, in your kindness, in your mercy and in your grace, provided the payment for us that we might be able to walk in new life with our sins having been forgiven. And so we thank you for that, Lord, as we take this bread. May it ever be in our minds the thing that you have done for us. Friends, take and eat. Jesus this cup represents your blood poured out for us, your people for the remission of our sin not for any other purpose the greatest blessing you could give us was to reconcile us to yourself Jesus, thank you for that and for all of the other blessings that you do give us. But as we take this cup, help us remember, Lord, that this is why. This is why we sing. This is why we gather. This is why we are able to pour out our praise to you because you first poured yourself out for us. Friends, take and drink.
Holy Spirit, we thank you for doing your work. Highlighting our sin and bringing us to the foot of the cross. We pray that you would continue to pour yourself out on this place and on your people around the world. That we would be reminded of why Jesus came. Thank you, Spirit, for meeting us here and for bringing us up to this table that we might be able to partake of the forgiveness that God offers us. Thank you, Spirit. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, receive this benediction from the book, uh, of, from the letter of Jude. You can stand if you would, please. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, go forth blessed and be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.